Computer, initialize Holosuite. This is the Fluffernado. Is this thing on? Hi. You might have noticed that this episode is a little late to release. The original plan was to get this out in November. Yes, I know it's October. You heard right. I did say November. No, you're not crazy. And no, this is not Skippy screwing with you. When I say this episode was due for release in November, I mean November 2020, and not next month, November 23. This episode you're about to listen to was actually recorded in October 2020, and due to be released a month later. So when I say this episode is late to get published, I mean really late. Unfortunately, my health took a massive nosedive, and just getting through the normal workday has been a big challenge, never mind the extra work of audio editing. Nathan and I originally planned for the Fluffernutter to release an episode every month. That has obviously not gone as expected, and given that I'm still recovering, and the release schedule is going to change moving forward. Don't worry, we still plan to produce the show. The main difference is at least for now, that instead of a monthly release, we're looking for a quarterly release. We aim to get episode 3 recorded, edited and out to you all in January 2024. However, if there are still issues with my recovery, it might end up April 2024. Skippy is messaging and insists that he sings you one of his nine hour long operas. So, rather than that, Enjoy episode two of the Fluffernutter. This is the Fluffernutter. The Expeditionary Force. Damn, you monkeys are dense as a neutron star. Embrace the suck, sir. I'm sorry, they are going to be so disappointed. Hello, and welcome to the Fluffernutter, an Expeditionary Force podcast. We're on episode two. My name's Nathan, and as always, I'm joined by the other cheeky monkey, Steve. Hello. This week, our special guest monkey is Stephanie. Hello. Okay, so Stephanie, first of all, how did you find the Expeditionary Force books, what got you into them? I found, how did I find them? I think that I was on Audible and I, I probably had listened to another book that R.C. Bray had narrated and then this one popped up. I've long been a sci-fi nerd, really wanted to, I think I told, may have told Steve this when we first chatted that I originally wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, but then I found out you had to do math. So that, uh, derailed my dreams instead of just become a sci-fi nerd. But yeah, I've been reading, I've read or listened to the entire series probably like three or four times, I think, at this point. Wow, perfect. That's very similar to me. That's how I started finding the books as well. Right, today we're looking at book two, which is Spec Ops. For me, I love love this book. It's one of my favourites, but I think it's a little bit underrated. But we'll start 
whizzing on through. So we're leaving Earth and we've got the um, Elder Wormhole controller module, which they'd got from the previous mission. And they were flying to the stars. Um, and they're like, where do we go now? Um, well, no, that's not exactly how the book first starts, is it? No, when it came to re-listening to it and even the first time, um, no, not the first time, sorry. When I listened to it again the second time and then for making notes the third time, both times I had to double check that I hadn't started partway through the book because that's where Audible left it. <laughs> and I actually had to double check and actually manually click on chapter one. Just like, no, that is the right place because it's just like, no, that's not the beginning, is it? It is. We started on a cliffhanger. That's right. Um, how did you find that? I thought that was a, a fantastic way to start and very different from the previous book. Well, not really, because if you remember the first book, he does actually start off a little bit into it. He goes, maybe I should explain, although it's not quite as far into it. Yes. Right. Book one, it's he sort of talks a little bit about saying it's just like, yeah, maybe I should explain. But this time he's starting halfway through the book sort of thing. Mm hmm. And then you sort of go to the beginning. Yeah, he's a very absent-minded monkey. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like us all. Yes. <laughs> so we're looking for the first, um, we're looking for another com, com node at the moment. And uh, Skippy's decided to to find different sites to look at. So um... well, I suppose first of all, we should talk about the ship because the first part is about the crew and who's on the crew because there's a whole thing about skippy going why am i not on the roster uh, <laughs> you mean asshole first class yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course it goes into the interactions between the crew you've got all the original merry band of pirates who are feeling intimidated by the spec ops and then of course you've got skippy that goes do you know how dumb you are? You do know that each one of these highly trained people are sort of intimidated by you guys. It's just like, really? Why is that? It's just like, uh, let's see. You just kick the hell out of aliens. Yeah. Yeah. You saved the freaking world. But it's true. It's just like, how often in life do you spend so much time and effort worrying about what other people think, thinking, oh, these people hate me or they're so much better than me? And half the time, if you actually got talking to them, they think exactly the same thing and have exactly the same doubts. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's it has a bit of a uh, uh, like high school, so an American a high school feeling to it where in high school, you always everybody thought that everybody else was cooler than them. And then when you go to your reunions, you find out that everybody thought that they were just like, they were awkward and didn't know what they were doing and trying to figure out life. So it has a very similar vibe to it. My school's never actually had a reunion. <laughs> oh yeah they now are more sort of i say americanized because they now have proms and things like that my school never had anything like that and i'm still connected to a lot of people through facebook and things like that and i have never seen anything about any of our year or class going oh let's do a reunion yeah i don't think i was invited to mine <laughs> <laughs> but there we are so we've also got um, several new crew members, as, as you were saying. So, um, and some of them may have been primed with a secret mission. So, like Baldilocks, for example, <laughs> one of the um, one of the uh, Spec Ops team members. He was originally given the orders to mutiny and take over the uh, ship if necessary, but refused, obviously. 
How do you think Bishop copes with that? I think he was a little bit surprised, but not hugely. Because he, he, yeah. he did worry about that a little bit. He has an inferiority complex, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's expecting that somebody at some point, at some point, somebody's going to like just show up and take charge. You know, like some like one of the grown-ups is eventually going to show up and take charge. Yeah, well, that's the thing is he is so young and so inexperienced and he knows that. He knows he only got to where he is because circumstances, not because he really was the best person for the job, but everything that happened has just put him there. And at the end of the day, he's the only person who Skippy will deal with. And to be honest, there's a lot of them which are just going, Actually, no dealing with Skippy. We'll leave you in charge. Right. <laughs> Do you think he secretly wanted someone to show up and say, no, I'm now in charge? Well, he did. If you think about him saying that he'll answer to somebody else, that they are in charge of the mission, that he's in charge of the ship later on. Yeah. So he doesn't always want this on his head. And you see this time and time again through all the books, that he's always doubting himself. He's always going, shit. I should have done that better. Mm. He always realises how badly prepared he is for any of this. And in this book, you actually get this is why Smythe is a highly trained professional and is in charge of the Spec Ops team is these are the things I should be thinking about. These are probably mm -hmm. the things that are in these hundreds of presentations that I should have actually gone through already. Yeah. Yeah, every time they go back to Earth, or, well, since we're only at the second book, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't gotten to more books. But, you know, the first time he went back to Earth at the end of Columbus Day, he wanted to revert back to a sergeant position because he thought that he had this theater rank. And then they, of course, gave it back to him, put him back in charge for spec ops. But then, you know, I think he keeps thinking in the back of his mind that it's just going to keep it's going to go away, that he's not going to be the colonel anymore. Mm hmm. Yeah, which is understandable because they keep giving it to him as a theatre rank. So mm -hmm. it is known it is only for this mission and this mission only. Yeah. Right. He can't be blamed for thinking that, but um, I'm sure that, of course, leads to him doubting himself more than he probably would have done. For example, when he got his sergeant stripes, although that was probably done a lot quicker than it usually would have, he at least earned that based on what he'd been doing on Camp Alpha. Correct. Whereas with the Colonel's birds or um, wings or whatever it is. Eagles. Yeah. Eagles, thank you. <laughs> the bird thing. Get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was a publicity stunt. So he no way earned those at all. And I think he also feels that, that he earned them by doing something that he may not regret, but they're... You know, there was that whole big description in Columbus Day where he thought he, he looked into the eyes of the person who, or the, the hamster that was flying the, the plane and, at, you know, when they, when the missile hit the plane. When he shot down the whale, yeah. Yeah. And so I think they're in somewhere in the back of his mind that he got, not only got promoted as a publicity stunt, but also because he did something that wasn't necessarily, honorable is not the right word, but not, not deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing. I think we mentioned this when we discussed book one about drone pilots. They mm -hmm. kill people, but they're just so far away. And there's this whole thing in this book where they've shot down this aircraft, but he doesn't want to go look in it and see all the sentient beings. Here. The mangrove Cristan, yeah. 
Right. He has now killed once again. And he does again start thinking about all the things that and all the people he'd actually killed previously, which although they are sort of these stronger sort of beings that could easily sort of break him in half without a second thought and with such ease. But it's just more lives where they just didn't have a chance to fight back because, of course, he's an infantry soldier. He is shooting people and he's been at war before, but it's always people in front of him where they can see each other and that he's protecting himself because they too are armed and in front of them. Whereas these times where they've shot down aircraft, they haven't exactly been armed sort of thing. And it's always been sort of an unexpected sneak attack. Mm -hmm. So they haven't exactly seen it coming. And I think that plays on his mind. It's not been... A fair fight. Yes. Yeah. Even though there, it is a fair fight when he's dealing with high, you know, much more advanced species. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, of course, he wouldn't want to go one-on-one because he would lose. Although saying that, again, he got the upper hand when he broke out of jail in book one and, mm-hmm. and killed one of them with the rifle. But again, that was because he had surprise on his side. Exactly. I mean, he's just got to take the advantage, hasn't he, where he can. And I think he's, he learns that as he goes through the books. But right now, he's still a bit worried about, the, I think, the consequences in his own judgment, if you like. So when he's judging himself or whatever, I think he's worried about, well, was that the right decision? Was that the wrong decision? And I think it just all plays around in his own mind. So, yeah, very interesting. And it's very mature, if you really think about it. At this point in the books, he's, what, 24? Four, maybe yeah he's early 20s yeah so it's it's a very mature way of thinking for someone so young to be so concerned about those details yeah because i don't i can't remember being that introspective i think at that age so he's very introspective for somebody at that young thrown into a position that he didn't want and wasn't prepared for but then of course at this point in the book you've also got skippy and his nicknames so of course you've got king kong and of course, there's that whole discussion about why haven't you given Sergeant Adams a nickname? <laughs> <laughs> just like Skippy's, have you met her? It's just <laughs> like, I'm not suicidal. It's just like, okay, a nuclear blast won't kill him. But yet he is still that afraid of Gunnery Sergeant Adams <laughs> and what she would do to him. Yeah. He's... He he's in. I think he's in love with all of the strong characters in this book because he's in later books. He falls in love with other characters. Yes. So he definitely has a big crush on Adams. Yeah, but it's just the way that he makes it. Have you met her? I'm scared of her. <laughs> it's just like you can't possibly. And it's just like why would Joe even believe that? <laughs> but in part of me, I wanted Joe to be sort of sarcastic. Going, You're afraid of her. Mm, okay. Not pick something else up from it, but he didn't. Yeah, I think it's very interesting the relationships that Skippy has and what Joe has with the crew are very similar, if you Mm -hmm. like. Although Skippy is, um, oh yes, I'm Skippy the Magnificent and aren't I amazing? And Joe is very different. But I think so, like, he's very close to um, King Kong. uh, So Chang. Yeah, Chang, that's it. He's very close with Chang, Desai, Adams, and it's very much that kind of relationship. But Skippy also has that kind of relationship. It's very symbiotic in some kind of way. Yeah, especially with the original Merry Band of Pirates yeah. as well. He definitely does have a preference with them. And just the whole way he, 
everything interacts. It's like with the nickname King Kong. It's just how that backfired on him and he was pissed because it's just like, <laughs> I love that nickname. And it's little things like that. This is what always makes these books with me is all these little things. And especially with the way Joe gets treated, it's like when the cafeteria is absolutely dead in the next <laughs> couple of chapters. And of course you get Skiffy saying, you really need to get laid. Oh. <laughs> That had me in tears every time, <laughs> just laughing so badly with that. Yeah. Do, do you think Skippy uses that as a kind of a morale booster for the uh, crew, though? So he just takes the mickey out of Joe and in front of everybody just to raise the morale of everybody else and to bond everybody together, you know, when he's going on about Joe's lightning bolt. Oh, yeah. And maybe it should be a question mark instead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, back in the caves, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I absolutely think he does. Because there's several points within the book that, in the series, where Joe says he has to appoint a morale officer. And then right after that, Skippy will make fun of Joe in a very public place to make people laugh. So it's it's Skippy's... Well, Skippy does also think about these things in other ways. For example, when they're on this huge trek over to the base, Mm -hmm. and Skippy asks him about his sprained ankle, and he's going, so... You've seen the doctor, haven't you? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. It's just like, you are such a dumb monkey. (laughs) Just like if you're putting up with something and you've got two trained civilians who are medical doctors and they're doing what exactly? It's just like, if you're not going to go to them, why would any of the other trained military personnel who are tough, who wouldn't want to seek medical help anyway? Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Skippy does obviously think about these things quite a bit. And of course, given Skippy time, there's a lot more time for him to think about these, I suppose. But he doesn't, with his sort of asshole sort of persona, he doesn't always just come out and talk about it. He always does it in a way of making Joe look really small and really stupid and <laughs> just taking the piss out of him, which of course is funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's funny for us <laughs> it's funny for us it's a it's i think the series to me the series very much is a buddy series or a buddy theme because they're the two you know they're the kind of the the odd couple if you yes. will there's a lot of uh there's a lot of, th- kind of narrative themes around this kind of buddy yin and yang yeah for me I- because I always felt that Skippy especially was the Fraser sort of <laughs> Nile sort of combo. To me, he's sort of mainly Fraser with a big portion of Brother Miles and a very small portion of his dad. To me, Skippy is like an amalgamation of all three of them. <laughs> and the whole interaction between him and Joe is like them at the bar Cheers, which of course Frasier was um, a spin off from. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, this whole thing is from Craig Allison just watching Cheers and watching Frasier for years. And he's come up with this sort of relationship and it just works. It does. It really does. So you were talking about their big long trek, and that was uh, that was what on the on Newark. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the place that nobody wants to go, but you have to travel through it to get somewhere else. Things I had never heard of Newark before, <laughs> but when I was rewatching Spider Man, and he actually goes to Newark Airport. Well, it says Newark Airport when, in actual fact, it was one of the London airports that they <laughs> filmed it from. And I thought, oh, Newark Airport. I know where Newark is now because. <laughs> 
I feel as an American, I should defend Newark, the city versus Newark, the airport. (laughs) (laughs) New Jersey is a lovely state with a lot of, a lot of beautiful places. (laughs) It really is. But then I did wonder that, but I thought, okay, well, if it's such a nice place, why did Spider-Man then decide to film in Britain? For the airport, <laughs> saying kids go careful. Yeah, and I thought hmm, maybe it's not a good place, like as indicated in the book. <laughs> budget, I don't know. Everything yeah. comes yeah. down to budget in movie making. <laughs> True. Yeah, it might just be better rates in London. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Or as they're already in London because they did film some stuff there. Yeah. So they might have just been there. So it's just an easier location rather than having all the crew relocate to what the east coast of. I'm going to say Australia <laughs> of America. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it's probably the same as uh, Reading train station in this country. Nobody really wants to go to Reading train station, but you've got to change there for so many places if you're going up the north of the country and to, to Wales and the south, etc. So nobody really wants to go there, but you've got to. So, uh, <laughs> so I think it's probably very similar. No one, no one ever leaves the station at Reading. I've never seen anyone actually leave the station. Everyone's just changing trains. So I guess it's the same as uh, Newark Airport. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't been through Newark Airport since uh, probably the 90s. So I can't say what it's like now. But majority of airports in America have turned into kind of mini malls with lots of activities that you can do. So it's probably a lot better now. I don't know yeah. why I feel like I have to defend Newark Airport, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. So we're, we're talking about Newark, but we got there because the um, the ship was in danger, wasn't it? I mean, with the um, they were being chased by several Thrannan starships, and uh, we were in a lot of trouble with the Flying Dutchman. Yeah. Well, before then, they're looking for, of course, some of these communication devices and things yeah. like that. And of course, we have Skippy talking about his foggy memories and how he's scared. There's so many things that he doesn't know. But what got me is he started talking about how the Rindaloo found out that the Maxalts were going to attack them and how the Maxalts had to speed up plans when they found out. And that's how this big sort of war sort of raged before the Sentinels came in and sort of like wiped out most of them. Mm -hmm. And it did at that point start me thinking, okay, well, if he's got that by tapping into certain communications from when he was in Paradise... And we find out more in other books, which we'll get into then. So it made me think, hmm, was it actually one of them that just started attacking the others? Or was there something that unknown to them caused this? Which, of course, when you start getting further into this book and you start finding out things that happened 2.7 million years ago, that made me start thinking maybe it wasn't actually the Rindaloo and the Max Alts that started this big war, which is affected the entire galaxy. Yeah, so you're on the, the theory of a hidden species. Or... That's, that's where I was. I was thinking maybe it's a hidden species which uh, are not revealing themselves to everybody else at the moment. That was my first thought. But as we go through book two, mine actually turned into it was an AI like Skippy or possibly even Skippy. There is a bit of a feeling of foreshadowing that Skippy may have done something since he doesn't have his memories. Exactly. And everything that all the evidence that starts turning up all has the same basic timeline of 2.7 million years ago. 
Newark is pushed out of orbit around the same time that these other things occur. Yeah, yeah about 200,000 years later, the mm-hmm. crash. But of course, that other ship could have easily been just in orbit for a couple of hundred thousand years before it crashed. But everything all goes back to this one bit of timeline. Mm-hmm. And the more and more sort of with Skippy's memories, more and more, I do think it was actually something he did. Mm. Interesting. Naughty Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that he is now so different because he hasn't got that memory. My thought is when you watch TV and films and then you've got this person, they've been in like a crash, they've got brain damage that they can't actually remember their life. They're a completely different person. It made me think maybe that's what happened with Skippy. Something happened, whether or not it was, well, we know what happens in the next book with regard to him disappearing. So again, for people who haven't yet been there, I won't go into that. So maybe things like that were done, which caused him this memory loss. And this has given him a different personality than he ever had. And there are also talks about him having a personality as it is now because he met Joe first. That's right. He's imprinted on Joe. And when he came up with a lot of this stuff, um, again, that we'll get into, I think it's in book three. Basically, ideas came out from communications and the finding of Earth and humans. Mm -hmm. So... I'm wondering if his new personality is as it is because of humans Mm. and that it's completely different as he was millions of years ago and that he could actually be this killer AI. Mm. Absolutely. You leave my Skippy alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, asshole. (laughs) He may be an asshole, but I don't think he's a mass murderer. No, but we know he can be evil. It's like when Skippy replaced the alarm when they eventually go to this asteroid as one of his (laughs) locations. And he changes it with his 60s tube, which just completely confuses the hell and scares everybody. Going, How the hell has this decades old tube got hundreds of thousands of light years out here? It's just like, you dumb monkeys. You really think that was just like, Skippy, you can't just do that. All right. So in Skippy's defense, though, how come they haven't figured out that he would be doing stuff like that well it's not the first, <laughs> yeah. they probably have but if they had time to think but of course it's just like shit what is that and of course it's like with a lot of tunes it can just start off with certain chords it may mm. not be a song straight away so <laughs> they're trying to figure out what this thing's going on and it's they're in space they're trying to break into this place <laughs> which could have all sorts of things behind it um sort of traps and everything and yeah, they've just got this music and it's just like, what? Skippy. Skippy. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. So where were we? Somehow we got to Newark after our ship almost exploded. That's right. So um, Newark itself then, we're less oxygen, more gravity. So it doesn't sound like a really nice place. Um, it's cold. There's no sun. It's really cloudy and miserable all the time. But Skippy's got the life of Riley, hasn't he? He's got no monkeys aboard the ship. And he can play with the ship and remake it in any way he wants. Who's got the best end of the deal? (laughs) It's Skippy. Well, not necessarily. We know Skippy gets lonely and Mm -hmm. that in his own time, a lot of time elapses compared to our time. And you've just got to think about how he enjoys the company of the humans. Because before we get to Newark, you've got this whole thing about him torturing Joe over him butchering the English language, where he asks him, was it where your ancestors so poor they sold all the R's? (laughs) 
where he's the video of Joe where he, he has Joe as a monkey when he sends the video out to the science team. And then, of course, the other messages to the crew where Joe is replaced by Barney and the whole voice. Yes. And yeah. even with what he did to Earth, so he's left Joe in the intelligence briefings being, I think it was Barney as well. Barney, yeah, video. <laughs> so for Skippy, he enjoys having them about because mm-hmm. he is that lonely. And even when they're doing this big trek, Joe contacts Skippy to get a sit rep and find out how things are. And there obviously isn't much to talk about. So he goes to say, okay, bye. But Skippy goes, oh, what's about this? And things like that. Because he really does want that sort of companionship. And for me, he's doing all this work now. It's for lots of reasons. He wants to find out what's happened to the stuff where he needs the comma ray. He wants to contact other people like him. But he, of course, wants to get the ship done. One, to see if he can actually do it. But two, he wants his friends back. He does have so much fun with the crew that he he really is lonely. And after spending millions of years on his own, you can't really blame him. Yeah, I agree. I think um, he is a very social person and having those interactions with the crew and those personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Because um, in some of the other books, when, he, when we are on Earth, he can speak to everybody in the world. Right. But I think he gets more value from the certain people that he's built up those special relationships with. Yeah, well, it's a bit like when you've got You've got friends and you've got mates, but you've also got friends that you just want to talk to because you know you click with them. You know you've got this history with them. Whereas when it, if it's a complete stranger, mm-hmm. you can have great conversations, but it's not always the same. And as humans as well, we are very social creatures. And with today's pandemic as well that we've got with the whole COVID-19, one of the things a lot of people are struggling with and one of the things where I think all countries are dealing with more people being depressed, suicidal and things like that is because Mm -hmm. we are such social creatures and we really aren't used to just not being able to talk to people. Mm. Right. Well, unless you're me, who literally is fine with sitting in a dark room 24-7 and just <laughs> chats with people electronically normally, then yeah, it's not a problem. But for most normal people, it's a problem because they are talking and interacting with people in person all the time. And I think what you see with Skippy and even the, the humans that are on the ship is you do get this sort of loneliness as well. Mm-hmm. And the books do go into that. Yeah, I I definitely see a connection to the pandemic isolation that we're going through because humans are tribal, we're, we are social creatures. Skippy has, I guess, he has gotten that imprint on him. I wonder what he would have been like had he met had he been discovered by a, another species that maybe wasn't as mm-hmm. interconnected you know would he would he become the skippy we know yeah yeah would he would he have become that way would he be as gregarious and as trickster as he is now yeah i mean i'm sure he'd still be an asshole but you know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> of course he would <laughs> yeah so, um, we, we've also got the micro wormhole, which I think was the first appearance in the books of the micro wormhole when Skippy was at his gas station and uh, the team are on Newark. So I like that little, um, it's not breaking the rules of the uh, sublight communication and things so they can still be far away and still have that ability to talk with each other. So I'm glad that Craig's followed his own rules by introducing the micro wormhole. So it's a a perfect opportunity to get round the physical limits. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. 
it just made Skippy a little bit more limited in what he can do and what he can't do because it's not all in real time, like when they're driving the um, the stolen um, RV around uh, Newark as well. So he can't... It's the Barney Wego. Yeah, the Barney Wego. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Oh, it did make me laugh when they stuck the Barney on there, because of course this is the <laughs> second time, because of course the first time with Paradise, somehow they'd managed to get a Barney. It's just like, well, I had to come prepare, sir. <laughs> I can get it for this mission. I can understand them taking a Barney with them. But on the first mission, I really don't understand why people would have had a Barney with them. <laughs> well, it might have been that somebody's kid put it in there. It's just like, oh, will you take Barney along to protect you sort of thing? Yeah. And of course, with Joe Bishop being there as the Barney guy, that it got passed along sort of thing. Yeah. I could see that sort of thing happening because they got loads of stuff coming in from Earth and not everything probably was checked that was actually on the people. So, yeah, to have a Barney be kept with somebody's kit that they're just <laughs> on them in person and see that one coming along. But, yeah, obviously yeah. with the whole Barney persona, somebody had obviously had the idea, yeah, I'm going to take this along because that will be fun. Yeah. And also keep in mind they have replicators aboard the ship, so they could replicate as many Barneys as they want. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Gippy, make me a Barney. <laughs> but if that was to be the case, you'd actually find the ship full of them, because you know <laughs> Skippy wouldn't just do the one. So. <laughs> I'm sure Anastasia would have ended up great purple dinosaur, wouldn't she? <laughs> yeah, dear. So, um... Newark for me was absolutely exciting with the the effect that we've got the Kristan science team scavenger team looking for elder goodies all around Newark and we've got our team of monkeys held up in these caves and that trek they have to do so lowering the um, Kristang over by making fake elder goodies mm -hmm. I, I think is uh, I just absolutely adored that that whole section that whole part of the book I thought was really good. And then obviously they found the original inhabitants of Newark as well, which really upset everybody, didn't it? So it did. It's it, I mean, I was I was surprised at how it affected me. Yeah. You know, it was it was quite sad to you know walk in on this tomb that the former inhabitants had made. Yeah. And then imagine them slowly dying from the oncoming ice shelves coming down from the poles. That's it. Yeah. One thing that got me thinking is whether or not this is in some ways a little look back on how we treat our own planet and how the changing weather and that because of global warming and things like that and how drastic changes can happen to a planet which just kills everybody off. And I do wonder if there is a sort of, I don't know, a background reference to that in Craig's mind when he wrote this. Maybe he was thinking of the movie The Day After Tomorrow. Possibly. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> but yeah, it, it did have a vibe where it did remind me of a lot of things that I have watched. It just made me think as well of uh, when people first went into the um, Egyptian tombs of the pharaohs, um, mm. what it was, when they, what they found and what they saw, what's this strange writing. For me, that's that's it kind of had that kind of relevance for their script, their culture. What was it all like? Because all we've got is uh, a few trinkets and bones and some writing on the wall, which you can hardly read. So that was, wow. It really, really made me think a lot. Mm -hmm. And particularly with the, the whole impending doom, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you know it's coming. What do you do? Making your way to the equator and things like that. And that, that would have been, what, Bronze Age type people. Right. So everyone in Britain would have died because they would have got, <laughs> got to the equator. So uh, yeah, that, that wipes out half the world. <laughs> 
But then that also goes back to the day after tomorrow, because, of course, people who were in the USA end up going down to Mexico. So, of course, it's the first world country suddenly has to rely on the third world country or the likes of. So it's a complete twist in sort of fates. They become this sort of area that is where people need and have to live. Yeah. Yeah. But talking about references to TV, films and things, I was very disappointed there wasn't a MacGyver joke. <laughs> well, you get this whole thing where Skippy's going through about how he's doing this thing and this TV, sort of this bloke with a knife sort of and crew. Um, but he's like, I'm the guy who's starting, but with a paperclip. And it's just like, you're starting with a paperclip and you don't make a MacGyver joke. That's such a missed opportunity. It's just like, it should have happened. Mm-hmm. Even Stargate managed to do the MacGyver joke because, of course, they had um, Richard Dean Anderson on it. Like all this thing about re-rigging a ship and everything else. Perfect time for so many MacGyver jokes. And there wasn't a single one, especially when they got paperclip, especially like the new MacGyver series. It's always a thing with paperclips. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was definitely a missed opportunity. I mean, they worked the A-team in there somewhere, I believe. So Yeah, yeah A-team was there, yeah. And personally, I'm offended because those are great shows. Why does Greg have to, Gippy have to bag on the (laughs) A-team? As I said, missed opportunity there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think so. So um, we've uh, found the goodies. I mean, we've got to the um, Kustang base and uh, they're there and the battle um, with the mech suits. I think it's the first time that the Spec Ops team are really engaged and and showing what they can do. Do you think the, the original crew would have been able to take on the Kustang as well um or do you think it's uh the spec ops are there for that reason no i think they're there for that reason and it's yeah. also i think the reason for the name of the book as well well yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a mission where it did require these specialized troops and you even have the character joe refer to them so i could never just walk all this time and then just go straight into attacking and things like that but these people can they have that mentality and of course yeah but it's also the fact that at this point the spec ops team have also begun operating as a single team right because beforehand you've also got joe's thinking look we need a big team we can't have all these different nations doing what they had been doing which is basically although they're doing all the same training but they've been training in their own nationalities and of course one thing i did think near the beginning it's just like well why are they all sort of sticking to their group surely you should have one person that helps lead the group together and they do actually do that but i did like the fact that chang had already thought of this ahead of time and before he could even finish asking the question to chang about who should be the captain who oversees all of them is just like smythe yeah that's a that's a good introduction to smythe i think he's a he's one of my favorite characters not only because he reminds me of Winter Davis from old British TV, but um, he's just, I think he's just that leader, that go-getter who wants to go into the fight and wants to do well. There's the bit where he's taken the photo when the Barney Rago rolls down the cliff mm-hmm. and they're taking the photo and and that was just like, that's such a character. And then he was showing his uh, old one of his um, helicopter crash in um, Afghanistan as well. So that really made me connect with him. Yes, this is what we do when we've had a danger we've got over, we're, we're surviving, this is inspiration for us. And, and, and taking that of the, the new band of pirates, and I mm-hmm. think that really embedded him in there with Joe as well. I think Joe suddenly realised, actually, this person's all right. Yeah, 
Right. And I think that the whole trek across Newark and the Barney Wego and everything was a perfect opportunity for the two teams, the Spec Ops and the original Merry Band of Pirates, to become a cohesive team. They really bonded over that shared mm. misery. Yes. Yeah, well, there weren't many Mary Banner pirates who actually were on that mission. Because mm-hmm. I think it was actually just Joe, wasn't it? I think it was just mm. Joe. Um, so, but it was a perfect time for yeah. the Spec Ops. Because even when it came to using that vehicle and the music, and when they got to the Coolio's Gangster Paradise, <laughs> that just made me laugh and smile. Because there are some songs which, no matter where you go, it is exactly the same. Because some songs, they'll get translated, but there are other ones that you go to and they always just use the original sort of English version and things like that. But I just thought it was great how this one tune had all of them just up sort of having a party and bonding. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's also that during this time that you get Smythe also talking about where he trained because they've got sort of this whole thing well it's quite a british thing to just talk about the weather and of course <laughs> they start talking about the weather um you've actually got joe asking if is this what it's like in scotland and it's just like oh, scotland's actually a really nice place and he starts talking about where he's based in hertfordshire and things like that and where he did his training there so you get to know a bit more about the character at that point as well and they sort of build this more of a bond And especially as he really didn't want Joe tagging along because, of course, he originally saw this as just spec ops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think he, at the start of it, saw Joe as just sort of that that little brother that wanted to tag along. Yeah. uh, Kind of just getting in the way. And so Joe made an effort to make sure that he not only kept up, but kind of earned his place. Yeah, definitely. And I think by the end of it, I think Smythe and Joe are, are really bonding and really, you know, Smythe has Joe's back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially going forward. Yeah. Especially going forward in the next next books in the series, you know. Right. That Joe and Smythe are they're they're tight, you know. They're but Smythe will tell him if he thinks he's being wrong. But they've got a really good relationship and I think that just carries on, but it's where it started here. Yeah. And I think it was the first time well, definitely know it was the first time that Smythe was able to see Joe's ability to come up with just crazy solutions. You know, <laughs> just uh, the attack on the base where they had to figure out how to, you know, just basically on the fly, how to figure out how to get that person out mm. of the what the weapons locker. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, Joe's ability to just think of things that perhaps these older and more experienced people hadn't thought about. Smythe sees that in that in that moment. And Joe earns Smythe respect at that point. Yeah. Um, I think we again we talked about in this last episode it's this whole thing with Skippy and Joe and that as well whereas you get a lot of these people it's like how many times do you talk to a boss or someone who's in charge with authority and it's just like a decent way forward is just so blindingly simple <laughs> why haven't you thought of this and it's the same in all aspects of our lives absolutely you just think why the hell didn't you do that then? Why did you do this, then this, then this? When you could have just done that. And it's just like, oh yeah. Because sometimes when you look at it from a different perspective and when you've got all this sort of training and expertise, you think about, right, this, then this, then this. It's a certain order. You should do it this way. And you often just skip the most simplest solution. And that, of course, is what Joe represents is Mm -hmm. how often does like a kid just say something so simple? It's just like, Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duh, why don't we try doing it this way? <laughs> With Joe being so young as well, his naivety and 
in a way, innocence. And because he hasn't got that education, he hasn't got that expertise. So he just thinks, what about this? And he's talked about his experience when he was in Nigeria and things like that, where you had to think, right, we've got some twats gone and told us we've got to go do this and we've got to have all this kit. And it's just like, why do we need all this kit? Mm. And you get to ask the simple questions. Do we really need to carry this thing? Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's all that naivety as well with him, that having no experience or very little experience in real life situations makes him ask, but why? Mm -hmm. And it's very much, um, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but my job is I work with children. And sometimes the children just go, but but why? And you're like, hmm, okay, I will find out why. <laughs> or, you know, you give them the explanation. Let me go figure that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but without giving them the direct, you know, this is why, but we'll find out together. And I think that's very much Joe as well. And yeah, at some point, I remember Skippy, I don't know if it's in this book, or I know it's in one of the books, and I can't remember which one. But Skippy tells Joe, you know, Joe, you're too stupid to know that you're asking dumb questions, you know, like, <laughs> but he means it in a complimentary way. You know, he's saying like, you, you ask these like, duh, why don't we try to doing this? And it's just, it's stuff that nobody else had thought about, including Skippy the Magnificent or Skippy the Meh, <laughs> depending on if he can think of a solution. What I love about it is it infuriates Skippy. You know, he's just, he's just so, he gets so mad whenever Joe comes up with an idea that he hadn't thought of. Yeah, it's just like using the wormhole when the... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, to fire the maze, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, no, 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 I will get, I know what you're going to get at. And he goes through this and he's like, nope. He's like, (laughs) what do you mean? He's just like, well, if you shut up, I'll tell you. (laughs) What about using a mazer? And there's just like this silence. Skippy? You're still there. Just like, yeah. oh my. I hate I my hate life. My life. <laughs> oh, just absolutely brilliant. And then, of course, moments later, how are we going to get the thing? Again, he tries to think, no, I can guess what a dumb monkey's going to say. You can do this and you can make it look like a ship in stealth. Yes. So what would a ship do? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's several several moments in the book like that where it's like Joe is cleverer than the smartest AI in creation. And it's like, really? I wonder if I were to come up with that idea. I very much doubt it. <laughs> but I think it's actually in this book much earlier on where it's actually specified about Skippy and Joe's friendship is humanity's greatest asset. And it's the same with the Mary Band, the pilot. It's his outlook on the universe against whether it's Smythe's or Skippy's, it's their interactions just makes these things work. And as he said before, he's in the wrong place at the right time or sometimes the right place at the right time. (laughs) Not that he always sees it that way by the end of it, that it just makes all these things work. Yeah, I think it's a lot of luck (laughs) or what we understand as luck. Right, what does primitive minds think of as luck? Because we also get Skippy talking about multiple realities and probabilities and how the ship was actually ripped apart multiple times, which is what caused their sickness and headaches when Skippy had made this wormhole, which caused that solar flare. Well, through the um, the jump, the damping the jump. fields. Yeah. So this is where we really start hearing about these multiple realities and the fact that they did actually die multiple times and it was then being put back together. So 
that way where the wormhole existed moments before it actually opened because of the way the wormholes work that the universe just went no you can't actually die there so we're recreating you yes that's real weird temporal mechanics yeah. <laughs> really weird i'm not even going to pretend i get that but I, I'm yeah, just, I... I just go yep <laughs> <laughs> I need the temporal mechanics for super mega dummies to understand a lot of that. <laughs> That's the one. Or if you like Captain Janeway, it just gives you a headache, so you just don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> Although we all know how she managed to keep away from time travel. I have to watch that series again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about funny things. When you've got um, Skippy doing his New York accent for the pizzeria. Oh. <laughs> now, yeah, it's not being from America, sort of. I know a lot of films they get a lot of people talking like that, and I have met some people from the east of um, the country who do talk quite like that. But I'm not sure if that's everyone's or if that's just a stereotype. It's definitely a stereotype, I think, but grounded in reality i grew up in the american southwest where i don't think we have an accent however i have an accent compared to people in the south or the northeast or uh obviously people from overseas so but the new york accent is stereotypically real i think and i'm sure i'll get a lot of hate from fans of <laughs> x-force who are in the on the east coast of america <laughs> saying that so almost like the uh, the British uh, Cockney accent from London. Oh, I right, up the apples and pears, me old mucker. <laughs> and all that, which is really exaggerated in all the films. I mean, uh, Dick Van Dyke did a very poor uh, Cockney yes. accent in Mary Poppins. <laughs> but we all, we could all hear that and identify that. And I think it's, uh, that's probably exactly the same for the, the accent there. I definitely believe so. So the Canadian accent, which is not at all related to the New York accent, but there's several times within the later books where there's talk of, I know within the X-Force group, there's a mm. lot of talk about Canadian accent and how things are said. And I know that there's talk about how Smythe accent is not reflective of where he's from. So there's definitely some, there's stereotypes that are brought into this by R.C. Bray, but he's R.C. Bray. So, you know. I've listened to a couple of his podcasts where he literally just says, I don't really give a fuck what you guys think of me, so I'm going to do these <laughs> accents how I do my accents. <laughs> I have noticed, though, for, um, who was it? Perkins. Yes. So Major Perkins in Columbus Day, her accent is different from later books. Yes. And I think that's because R.C. Bray had then found her and made her more fleshed out once mm -hmm. Craig had written more about her. And it's just understanding where she is, and where she's coming from. Right. And I think it's very similar for Smythe as well, because um, originally what well, he appears almost halfway through Spec Ops is not appearing until chapter 11. So, and he's just a typical British sergeant major. And if you ever watch the old Carry On films or you've ever been exposed to those and you've got carry-on sergeant and things like that. <laughs> you, you've got the typical British sergeant major kind of voice. And I think that's where um, R.C. Bray was coming from when he had Smythe as a British military to give him more of a, you know, a, a middle upper class English accent rather than um, Manchester accent, which is, uh, or Newcastle, I can't, can't remember exactly where he's from, but it's a completely different accent. But yeah, I think it's just that, to me, hearing Smythe and having the name Smythe as well makes me think he sounds like his name, if that makes sense. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> I do like the way that Craig Allison's actually written in a lot of terminology. For example, Smy says, and Bob's your uncle. And sort of like, Joe's like, I have three uncles and none of them are named Bob. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, it, with Captain America in one of the Avengers films, it's just like, I got that. Being a Brit, I got that term. And I'm thinking, I know a lot of people who, with podcasting with a lot of Americans, just wouldn't have got that either. And the fact that Craig had actually written that in the book. So I thought it was great that he'd actually got some proper British slang in there for something like that. Because you don't often get that from American writers. Definitely. I think, though, he does leave out a lot of the uh, probably more traditional British slang that is uh, more colourful. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I noticed that, uh, I can't remember if it was Columbus Day or Spec Ops, but it said that the reading level was ages 16 to 18. So maybe he's trying to just, you know, keep it a little bit. Yeah, a bit cleaner. A little clean. Keep it clean. Although Joe does swear. I mean, it's not like he doesn't swear. Yeah. It's not a swear fest, which I find that, I don't know. I think that there probably would be a little bit more swearing in real life, but this is obviously not real life. Especially with military personnel. I used to be in the Army Cadet Force and I'd done training with people who were in the regular army and the territorial army. And I know people who are in the army. And especially when it's all military personnel, you get an awful lot of bad language a lot (laughs) of the time, especially when they're just together. It is calmed down when they're with other people, but if it's just them, you can get so much bad language. <laughs> you certainly can. <laughs> you certainly can. Having grown up in uh, an army town when I was younger, you couldn't go anywhere without bumping into uh, someone who was serving. And uh, yeah, the, the language was blue. <laughs> right. Are we done with Newark? Do we want to leave now? Or is there anything else we want to touch on? Well, I guess we could touch on maybe the transition from New York to... Ugh, New to uh, back into space is where the disappointment that uh, Skippy feels when he discovers that the AI and the comm node don't work. Mm, yeah. There's also that and before they leave about how Joe felt that he had to say something before he left the planet. Mm-hmm. Because you got that whole moment because he was the last person off and he was with, I'm trying to think who he was with now. He was with Williams? He was just with a couple of the other uh, Spec Ops team. Yeah, he was the last one of the original pirates on the planet. Yeah, and sort of one of them had turned around to say, um, I'm sure I'd made a note on it on my Audible file, but it's not showing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because one of them said saying, and um, another one said, yeah, where I come from. uh, Yeah, karma's a bitch, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, because of course, going back to my whole thing about thinking that is actually Skippy about saying karma's a bitch and Skippy also saying we need to make sure people suffer for what they did, about what if it is actually Skippy and what happens then. Mm, So again, another bit of foreshadowing. Interesting. The only thing with that, when I was growing up, my mother had a uh, postcard, which she always had, last person to leave the planet, please turn off the lights. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would have been perfect for Joe to say. (laughs) I did like the fact that he felt he needed to say something. This entire species had died. Right. Mm. And again, the fact that he's out there to protect his species as well. Mm -hmm. So it's that weight on his shoulders that he felt that he needed to say something. But the fact that he didn't feel he could say something and when it came down to it, karma's a bitch was the best thing that I thought was apt and that's where it sort of left. Sort of in many ways sort of showed a lot about him and where things were. And then of mm. course, 
gets back to the ship and then as you were saying stephanie things weren't working and of course then they'd got the bad news ah yes the surveyor ship yeah so we found out that the Thrannan want to unify their white wing clan with the fire but is it firewind or fire tree clan they're going to unify them so they have to go to earth to pick up the leaders of the white wind clan because obviously we're the only ones who know they're dead right the fire dragons is i think what you're thinking of that's it fire dragons yeah they'll have to find that out but then you know so now we've got a whole new problem we're going to have to destroy the theranon ships so be easy won't it Easy peasy. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So what what do you think, Steve? An easy job to go and locate the Frannan ships? Well, we know from the get-go that it's not going to be easy because they have no idea where they're heading through and from. So they've got to find it first. So it's not just as easy as intercepting them. And of course, they've got to do it in such a way that they got attacked because of their destination. And Joe's actually smart enough to actually think we can't just make it that we just kill them on their way because that's not going to work. They're going to go, so these ships have also been lost on the way to Earth. Why the hell is that? We'll send more ships. <laughs> it's this giant Bermuda Triangle just by Earth. Weird. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Yeah, so they make it look like Jurapta, but I love the way they're thinking of the plan. And then suddenly, Scipio and Joe are in a dropship, stuffed inside a comet, <laughs> and on their way to go and scan the relay station. I thought that was absolutely, look, what, they're stuck in there, and they've been in there, what, a week? And they're, they're just scanning away, and it's just like crazy. Then then they notice them, and it's like, ha Joe, you're not going to like this. <laughs> It's not just that, is it? It's because a load of ships just end up... Yeah, the Thrannan or the the Kristang are doing um, uh, drills or something, aren't they? Around the relay station. Yeah, of course, that's when it's just like, and they know we're heading in their general direction. (laughs) So, of course, Joe has the bright idea. Right, I'm throwing you out. And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really going to throw you out on airlock this time. (laughs) I think he quite enjoyed that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I I think he found that quite satisfying. I think everybody (laughs) would have. (laughs) Right, where are we? We've just got to the relay station, so we get the information. And then how does Joe end up skydiving? Again, doing exactly the same thing as he did when it came to the asteroid. He throws Skippy away to head in another direction. So it's where Joe is showing that the mission does come first because Skippy is more important because they can go on without Joe, but there is no way they can go on without Skippy. Yeah. And when they were firing the mazes at the at Joe in the Kristang armor, it was just like, (laughs) whoa, this is getting a little bit hairy. And that's when Joe starts getting a puncture in his suit. And um, what do we think of his solution to fixing <laughs> his puncture in his suit? A piss poor attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in somewhere. I think it was a number one idea. <laughs> the jokes just write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he didn't come up with a crap idea. That would have been a bit. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Or is that too below the belt? <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think that was a really good bit of writing. And then the jibes on poor Joe afterwards as well, when he's uh, back in the uh, dropship and he's taking off his helmet and they're like, what's that smell? And he's like, oh, it's it's the armour. It got a little bit crispy. No. Yeah, they just really take the piss. <laughs> yeah, and Desai's going, no, the other smell. <laughs> I could actually visualise Desai's nose wrinkling up yes. and her face scrunching up, just like the smell of it. I could just visualize it based on that whole conversation that's it i, I, I totally agree <laughs> joe would have been stinking of it if, um and they're saying his hair is all stuck <laughs> down and it's just like when you've had a two-year-old and they've had a complete accident and they've got it everywhere um <laughs> and i think that's exactly how joe appeared out of the spacesuit is like oh dirty boy <laughs> oh that's hilarious so but we also get to see another skippy first as well once we make our way to the location of the surveyor ship where skippy's using um uh, flattening space time to such an extent he's making it curve the other way oh yeah because he inverts it that's right yeah he inverts space time and joe's going does that mean it's in minus <laughs> Oh, you dumb monkey. Yeah. I love the way Joe then goes and asks the science team about it. And the science team literally torture him for a week with it, don't they? Which I think was just absolutely brilliant. There's this whole relationship that they have with the crew. And we saw this again on Newark when he's going, we've got a bonus opportunity. And someone just says, now, is that bonus as one word or two words? <laughs> it's the same thing with the science team as well. They obviously feel comfortable with him and the way that he operates to speak their minds, which is just great. And I've had lots of places and jobs with lots of different types of bosses and a boss that you get on well with that you can talk to and just, again, take the piss out of. You have a lot more fun in your job and you do a much better job because of it, because it's fun to go to and fun to do. And it's good that they do have this interactions with Joe especially given his age and inexperience. Yeah. Do you think that is why they like him? Because he is fun? Yeah, in some ways. Uh, I think sometimes, yeah. Mm. At the beginning of Spec Ops, there was some friction between him and the science team. But I think at the end, after the shared bonding of living in damp caves on Newark, they came to respect him and they saw how hard he was working to not just keep the whole crew alive, but basically save the entire freaking world <laughs> yeah but i think a lot of that friction was basically due to the fact that they had just been stuck on the ship for mm -hmm. weeks and the one time that they get to possibly go and do something joe goes uh, nope nope <laughs> it's way too dangerous and they're like but 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 and it's like no <laughs> so i think that was the bit that sort of caused the friction right yeah he then made sure that the next time that they did get the opportunities to do something and to get off the ship. And it goes back to what we were saying about the pandemic and people not being able to get out and how they're just being driven stir crazy. The fact that they got to go out and actually do some science, which is what they enjoy rather than just doing stuff from sensors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he definitely tries to consider a lot of people's you know needs. And I think that they start to respect him for that and appreciate that they don't have such this rigid, um, you know, my way or the highway type leader that will, you know, Joe is definitely much more flexible than a lot of the leaders that they could have been stuck with. Yeah, I think so. He's, he, he much more listens to people's opinions and takes their advice. Mm -hmm. He's definitely not a Captain Kirk who's made up <laughs> his mind and that's the way we're going full steam ahead. 
his leadership style. Um, I'm going to compare him slightly to Picard because Picard will always have his little conference in Star Trek and he'll have Worth and Riker and everybody sit down at the table. They'll all discuss it and then Picard will make his decision. And I think that's very much how Joe is as well. Mm -hmm. So he listens to what everybody's got to say and takes on board what he needs to and then makes the decision going forward. So I think I would compare him on that aspect anyway. I think that makes sense. If I was going to compare him to another sort of leader in science fiction, mine would be Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Someone who can do leadership, but at the end of the day will always do what they feel is right. So I would probably have Mm. him sort of compared to that character a little bit more. And I'm talking about the reboot Battlestar Galactica, the the original. Of course, the Starbucks were completely different characters. Yeah, Starbucks hasn't been the same, has it? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, yeah, I I see where you're coming from on that. And I think, uh, yeah, the, the actual character is very similar. He's got a little bit, I think, not to break anybody's hearts, but uh, he's got a little bit of Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly in him as well, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I know. It's like salt on a wound, Firefly. (laughs) (laughs) With Joe is very conscious that he doesn't want to be selfish when it came to like Newark. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that all the other people got to drive first. Whereas I think with Reynolds, (laughs) he would definitely... Oh, yeah. Shotgun, I, <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat and then I'm driving once I know how to drive it sort of thing. So, <laughs> and then that'd be the same with Starbucks. She'd be like, no, 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 I'm in the driver's seat for the entire time. <laughs> Don't you even think about touching it. Yeah. <laughs> you can see that totally. Mine. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, just um, thinking of the ship that Starbuck captured, the Cylon Raider. Sort of no one else could get it working. They didn't have a skippy, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Adama wouldn't allow it. Too much networking. Too much He wouldn't be able to do a thing on the Battlestar Galactica, would he? Because like, nothing is networked. <laughs> Him go, damn bloody monkeys, connect these things up. And I was like, not on my ship, you're not. <laughs> Dumb monkey. He's like, nope, but we'll give you to the Cylons. They are networked. <laughs> that fight would be over so much quicker. That's it. Sleep. Talk about going completely off track. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that was my fault. No, we like it. A bit of balanced style. <laughs> but then we are complete sci-fi geeks. Yes. Yes, we are. All right, Skippy flattens FaceTime. Oh, yes. There's his super big tricks. And then the tankers all um, come through their little wormholes and they've got new keys waiting for them. Except one of the tankers gets away. So they've got a scan for these little drones which they drop off, which I thought was just a very interesting way of really, you know, like using the black box from aeroplanes. But mm-hmm. these massive ships are constantly always dropping off drones before they jump. So the only thing that I then thought of is, does the Dutchman drop off these drones when it jumps? And has it been constantly doing it? Is someone going to find them one day? They don't do it continuously. They just do it when the ship is about to be destroyed or something bad's about to happen. That's the only time that it happens. And Skippy has rewritten the operating system on the ship. Because ah, my theory is the ship's always about to explode. It's piloted by a load of... Red shirts. <laughs> monkeys. Yeah, red shirts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with every risk you know it's like oh god are they dropping off their drones now no because skippy would have recycled all of them anyway when it came to recreating stuff yeah yeah true and i think there is actually a point in one of the books where he actually says he's only actually created x amount of things like that yeah yeah that's true no it's it just a little thought because it was for me it was like ah 
I wonder if it's actually going to come back and bite them one day that they did actually leave some drones somewhere and but it never got to that point. And... Well, it hasn't yet. There's still more books to be had in the series. Well, exactly. <laughs> we, we, we don't know what's going to happen next. Okay, so I think we're we're finished with the, the surveyor ships and the tankards and Dutchman then flies back to Earth. So uh, we obviously wanted to, well, Skippy wanted to park around uh, <laughs> Uranus rather than <laughs> <laughs> Neptune. Um, do you think Joe was mean for not letting him do that? No. <laughs> I do. I'm not even sure if Skippy really wanted it. He, I think he said that because he knew what Joe would say. He'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, bit of funny time. Then they head back to Earth and uh, they're hailing Earth and... Uh... They get scared shitless because right. it's not the ship that left. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's the Dutchman 2.0 at that point. That's right. And Skippy's reply is, oh, I'm very sorry. Joe put the ship in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> Too hot and it shrunk. It's like a wool sweater. <laughs> That's it, exactly. So Joe's just saved the uh, planet again. And then Skippy belittles him straight away to his bosses. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Nice one, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. You can always count on Skippy for that. That's it. Exactly. Unless anyone's got anything else they want to talk about, I think we've reached the end of the book. We have. However, at the end, they give us Craig gives us another cliffhanger. A uh, little snippet. Yeah. Yes. Because they ask, uh, are we safe? And we, what the answer is, uh, not, Not so, so much. much. <laughs> I love those little, little, tiny, little cliffhangers. <laughs> Not the big cliffhanger. I hated the big cliffhanger between book nine and ten. That one was way too much for me. I couldn't, I couldn't bear that. Yeah, I think I may just start waiting to listen to the next books after a while. I don't know. I don't think I have the yeah. ability to, I don't, I, I don't have that kind of discipline. I'm just going to listen to the one that drops on no, December 1st. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> I'm there. It's uh, on pre-order. I personally didn't have a problem with that gap. No, you oh, didn't. Oh, because you just started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These last two weeks is the longest I've had to wait for the next edition. <laughs> because oh. I just went through the entire thing within like, a matter of yeah. four weeks. And you didn't even have a cliffhanger. <laughs> no, because I just started the next one straight away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. you lucky bastard. <laughs> Nathan's like, yeah, you've now got to wait several months. It's just like piss off. <laughs> That's <laughs> gonna around. happen. Yeah. That's it. It's like, no, you can't listen to it till after Christmas. Suffer like we did. Because <laughs> it was like five, six weeks before the next book drops in December. So that will be the longest wait they'll have until, of course, December drops. And then we've got to wait however long for <laughs> the next one to come along. That's it. I was going to say, we've got a load of good books coming um, towards the end of the year. And it's like, well, where were these during the lockdown period when we were not allowed out of home or anything? Is that, uh... Well, all these authors have been writing during the lockdown period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only thing I did want to mention about the book, though I only really felt it my third time through, and also because I was rushing to get through it before recording today's episode. And when I say rushing, I meant rushing as I was going through at skippy speed, because <laughs> I'd actually made it that it was going gap twice to three times the usual speed during some parts, is the, especially the part on Newark. A lot of it is just very repetitive. Mm. And even when they get back to the ship, a lot of the themes are very reoccurring. Now, the bits in between that happening, I still find very fun. But 
I had noticed that third time round how repetitive that it actually was. And especially when I was trying to think, right, there's a particular point I wanted to make a note of. Where is it? And trying to figure that out. I didn't know which part it was in. But of course, I had to go through the entire section to try and figure out where I wanted to make these notes and what those notes actually were. But just wondering if what you guys thought and if that had occurred to you. Yes, it's occurred to me. And you get it not just in this book, but you get it in several of the others. But for me, it just really homes back to this is routine on this little spaceship flying around. Um, there's not much to do. It's so much built into routine. Oh, and I'm doing this again, and we're doing this again, and we're doing this again. Mm -hmm. And for me, it gives me a little taste of what it would be like to serve on uh, a military ship or a submarine, or if there was the starship, that some things in every day are going to be repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Mm -hmm. So when you're coming back with the same things, more or less happening in the same order, like, obviously, Joe gets up every day, um, has his shower, take care of his boner, uh, and comes back. He has quality time with his girlfriend, all right? Respectful. <laughs> That's it. I did hear there was a restraining order against, <laughs> against the shower. Yeah. But that cycle, you know, the everyday life, I think it just really brings it back that it is boring being on that starship. Yeah, I see it as a little bit that way too. And there's just a lot of time in between their grand adventures. And that's normal. That's normal life. While this is science fiction, it's also, there is a little bit of that repetitiveness of life. And it can't be a 100% action adventure all the time. Otherwise, it's just not going to feel realistic. It's obviously not realistic, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I understand what you mean is it's very much a, you could imagine for me I very much imagine that that is what it's going to be and I think in the course of the book I think it's about two and a half years from chapter one to the last page that pass with the time that they've been traveling the time they spent on Newark mm -hmm. the time planning their their last missions and things like that so I think it's about two and a half years mm -hmm. I think yeah, I think I estimated that as well, because at the beginning of Spec Ops, I think they said that if Joe made some comment about if he didn't come back in three years, they'd be declared dead. Yes. And then when they get back to Earth, they're obviously they hadn't been declared dead. So it had to be somewhere within that three year period. Yes. But now, it was interesting to hear what you guys were thinking, because with me, when I, it did occur to me about that, I did think, well, it also reflects real life it's just like you do a job but how often is most of it exactly the same day in day out but it's those bits in between and as I said I noticed it was very repetitive same sort of themes and everything else but it's those little bits like the interactions with Skippy and things like that and that's what makes things like even your job when you're doing a lot of the same things over and over again but it might just be slightly different but it's these interactions with other people that makes it worth it. And yes, it could have been skipped out of the book completely. But I think it does reflect more about life by having these things in the book. So it's interesting that you guys also sort of picked up on that as well. Yeah, I think it adds to the atmosphere. You know, And one of my favourite times of uh, Joe's day is when he heads down to the galley. Mm -hmm. And sees what's cooking today. <laughs> For me, it's like, oh, okay. I might want to make that, <laughs> you know. Um, I remember one of one of the books Joe's describing this sandwich. And I think I mentioned this before. 
that the sandwich I had to go and make um, <laughs> almost straight after it. And it's like, I need maple mustard. I want maple mustard and I want ham and I want, you know, and it's like, I knew exactly what I wanted in this sandwich. And it's the way, you know, Joe loves his food, clearly. Um, I like my food. And uh, I think Craig really loves his food as well. And I think that's really um, evident in the books. I too enjoy the food that is talked about in the book. And I've started a Google Doc of all the recipes because I want to turn, I want to create an X-Force cookbook. So that's another reason why I'm getting both the Audible and the Kindle versions so I can actually see what the actual recipes are in writing to figure out how to turn it into a real recipe. Definitely going to have to get you back on to talk about this cookbook <laughs> and to go through it and sort of variations that you've also come up with or whatever. There's definitely, yeah. So Columbus Day doesn't have a ton of food mentioned in it. It's only after they bring on spec ops, you know, they, they bring on these special forces and they have to have these. They have no cook assigned you know, to the ship. So yeah. Joe's brilliant solution, and I do think it's a brilliant solution, is to just assign every country a day to cook. And so starting Spec Ops and going forward, there's so many recipes that start to come out and they get much more creative too. Yeah, especially as they try and use certain supplies up. Mm -hmm. So you you get this sort of mixture. Occasionally we'll have with friends sort of discussions about food and strange things that people put together. So, of course, (laughs) a recent job interview, one of the questions from another member of the staff, they sort of got the team together to see how people interacted. And someone said, oh, I love to put, fries in thick shakes and things like that <laughs> and, and sort of some of the looks from some people it's just like haven't you done that you're a monster <laughs> but i said well if you think that's weird when i was at school for school meals we used to have you didn't get plates you got trays and this tray was molded in a particular way where it was compartments mm-hmm so you basically got your food put onto these particular compartments and there's a space for a cup as well for your drink. But somebody had once bumped into me and I'd got chips with cheese and tomato pizza and I'd also got apple pie and custard. Somebody had knocked into me. My meal didn't go everywhere, but a huge amount of my custard went all over my pizza and chips. <laughs> and I will not waste food, so I still ate it all, but I actually liked the custard on the pizza and chips. So when I when they had pizza and chips, I then always asked for them to put some extra custard onto the <laughs> pizza and chips. And you can see the dinner ladies when it's just like, oh, can you also put some extra custard on the pizza and chips? And they're like, what? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and... <laughs> And I tried not only the banana custard, but there's also chocolate custard, strawberry custard. I, I did experiment with the different flavours of them. Chocolate didn't go too well, but I did oh. quite like strawberry, but the banana works well than all of them. I, I guess it's even funnier when um, when everyone realises that you mean French fries and not crisps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know the difference. I definitely yeah. know the difference. Yeah. When the Brits say chips, they, they mean... They mean French fries. Thick ones, yeah. Not packets of crisps. Yeah. Which is a, yeah. Your chips. Potato chips. Yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you guys would probably also get... In, I don't know how you would feel about pineapple on pizza, but I think... I don't know if it's been discussed in the books or not, but there are... There are some very strong opinions on putting pineapple on pizza here in America. I love pineapple on my pizza. It's one of my wife's favourites as well. (laughs) 
I personally do, but there are people who would get yourself kicked out of a pizza restaurant in some places in America for asking for that. Yeah. Here it's actually called a Hawaiian pizza. It is a Hawaiian pizza, yeah. <laughs> My food tolerance is uh, I'll eat anything once or twice or three times. Generally, I'll eat anything once, depending on what it is. There's a caveat, depending on what it is, I'll eat anything once. Yeah. <laughs> we do know that our listeners don't have the flexibility of what they eat, given the outrage from some people by hearing that I put chicken into my fluffernutter. <laughs> and it's just like, it's chicken. It's not exactly like it tastes of anything. It's just extra protein and it's just more to chew on <laughs> so and when i when we spoke about it and i asked because I, I was very curious because it does sound strange to me but you you did clarify that it was like deli sliced chicken and not uh you know chicken off the bone which of course i don't know why there would be a difference but that would be a good difference in my mind for some reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's slices of chicken yeah <laughs> I don't know why it would make a difference. To me, chicken is chicken. So I'd still, if I wanted to, if I didn't have sliced chicken and I had got chicken on the bone, I would just carve it off and then just stick that in between. KFC in your fluffernutter? Mm. Don't see why not. But then I'm the sort of person who I've actually gone out to a KFC with friends and asked for a family bucket just for me. Mm. <laughs> As I said, I like my food. Have you done the uh, bacon in your fluffernutter yet? No, not yet. Because you can actually buy what's called bacon bits. It's actually bacon already sliced yes. and diced into small chunks. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually thinking I'll get that, fry that up. And then what I'll do is I'll put the bacon and the chicken into the fluffernutter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely doing the bacon in the fluffernutter. I'm going to candy off the bacon first. Oh. Um, make it all really super lovely and crispy. Yeah is what you could actually do is get all the little bacon bits and actually just pour that into like half a fluff jar. So when you've half eaten it and then just mix it all in. So as you pour it out the next time. Mm. Maybe not. No. I'm going to try the bacon first. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'm just wondering how many of our listeners are just shouting at me at the moment. <laughs> how can you do such a thing to food? No, they're, they're all asking, do you think he's trying to be disgusting? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hesitant because I don't like storing things mixed. I could just imagine... The mould and the going mold. rotten. Yeah. Bad things can happen when you mix things to store them. So I would keep yeah. them separate until such time that they could be combined. That's it. Well, assuming that you'd finish it within a few days, there wouldn't be a problem. Oh, yeah. It depends how long it takes you to get through a jar of fluff. If I do have it every day, then I can easily get through one in a week. So if you've got half a jar, then... Well, considering how long it takes me to get through salad dressing, it would probably take me years to get through a jar of fluff. And I know yeah. that's sacrilegious to our listeners, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephanie, is it crunchy peanut butter or smooth? It depends on your your feelings i think you know for a fluff or a nutter yeah for a fluff and nutter i would probably go smooth yeah i've only done smooth mm, okay because i'm very much in the crunchy but then i want to put candied bacon in my fluff and nutter <laughs> as well so i think i'm definitely on the crunchy side i don't know which one's right and which one's wrong i don't think it's ever mentioned is it that is a good question to pose to the facebook group i would imagine i think we do i'm sure we'll get some strong opinions either way always <laughs> <laughs> the one thing i did want to ask you stephanie is females within the x-force books and universe oh yes yes how do you think women are represented and not only that but sort of described and speak and things like that of course you've got a male narrator and a male writer 
how well do you think they're portrayed by both Craig and R.C. Bray? I'll start by saying I think that women are written and portrayed in a positive way in his book. And I like that he writes women that are intelligent, that can take care of themselves. They're not these kind of, you know, helpless little damsels in distress. I think part of it is because they are, it is a military culture. Mm-hmm. Um, at beginning, you know, in, in Columbus Day and in Spec Ops, the only, there's not a lot of women in, the, in those two books. And part of it is because the Castang won't let women, don't believe that women can do anything. <laughs> you know, that women should be submissive and tiny. And um, and the one woman that is in that book, Joe sleeps with. Yeah, Shauna. She's, she's definitely a, a badass, I would say. All the women that Craig writes about, I think, are very strongly written women. They've got good senses of humor. For the most part, throughout Columbus Day and Spec Ops, we, we only interact with military characters. The only women I think that come into play are, th- are people like Joe's mom or sister. Yeah, you'd also got that woman when it came to the Barney truck. That's just like, are you sending me away because I'm a woman? Right, yeah. No, you've got mm. a family. Other people have got someone else looking after their kids. Right. She's also in the military too. So it's Was she one of the military mm-hmm. ones? Or just one of the farmers? Uh... I think she did do some service before. I think she was in the service, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah, oh, in Columbus Day at the beginning when the Barney Okay, yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm following you now. And then in Spec Ops we get introduced to some female scientists and they're I think they're for the most part realistic. I I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't tend to have that big of a problem with how Craig writes about women. What I do notice is some of the tinier details that when he introduces other women later on, where the women um, order things like lemon drop martinis or like big frappe coffee thingamajobbers. I don't drink coffee, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. And I, I personally don't drink lemon drop martinis because I'm above the age of 25. Um, <laughs> So I I don't know, you know, I would like to see more women that drink things like, I don't know, whiskey or just even just red wine or something like that. Just I think there's some instances where there's a little bit of stereotypical behavior, but it's not so gross that you're just going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're talking about women that way. Mm. For the most part, most of the women are just really cool. You know, Desai has this kind of... She's very, you know, very confident. She's got a kind of like this almost motherly like figure, but not, she doesn't like baby people, but she's, you could tell that she's kind of the mother hen of the pilots. And um, Adams is, of course, you know, she's there to make sure that Joe doesn't do stupid things. Even the Burgermeister, when you're talking about the hamsters, um, they're... It's so funny how we just start calling them the lizards and the hamsters. You know, the Burgermeister, she's she's a strong woman. She's smart. She's 10 steps ahead of Joe, which isn't that hard, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) There is a little bit of most of the women just are kind of like waiting for Joe to catch up on certain things, you know. So there is that's pretty normal that you see in dialogue within narratives, within books, Mm -hmm. movies and TV shows. But I I don't mind that because I like to see strong, confident, intelligent women. Because one thing that Craig also did was he made the president of the United States a woman as well. Mm -hmm. I think it is very common in sci-fi and in futuristic genres to see female leaders. I think that most writers recognize that at some point in the future, there's going to be a female president of the United States. Yes. 
it's just math, you know, I mean, it's just going to happen at some point. Yeah, exactly. So you think he was done for that and not because of what had been going on in America at the time that he was writing the book then? I don't think so. Okay. I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of books and movies where they have female presidents. And so it's, it's just, it indicates a future kind of time frame. I know in the group, there's people that have estimated that Columbus Day starts in like 2030 or sometime in the future. It's close enough where people were still fighting stupid wars in Afghanistan and other countries, but it's not that close. You know, it's still far enough away. So I think in Craig's mind, in the future, there's, of course, there's going to be a female leader. We've, most other developed nations have female leaders. Yes. Or have had female leaders. Or have, yeah, in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, like the UK, we've had two female British prime ministers. And now the America now has a vice president. Mm -hmm. New Zealand, then Germany. Uh, India. Mm -hmm. So many. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I tend to agree with you, I think. Maybe it's not just because of Hillary. I think... She was definitely inspirational, made them think, mm, yeah, it could be possible. But I think it's uh, going forward as well, because um, as I've always thought it was set in the near future, that that would be the case, that it wouldn't be any of the current prime ministers or presidents, which would be who Craig is writing about. Um, and I love the way he doesn't put anyone's names. Yeah. So it's just Mr. President or Madam President, you know, and I think that works. Mm -hmm. Don't need to know their names. Now, I always took it that it was started... It was between 2016 and 2020 is when it sort of was starting for me. So when I did read on Facebook that people were thinking that is around the 2030s, and I thought, oh. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that late, but I can see it as well. Because we're still not technologically advanced 10 years out. Yeah. Mm. If, you know, we're still using tin cans to get to the moon and we don't have faster than light travel. So if it was that much further in the future, please, dear God, let us have some more advanced space technology. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want all the things that have been promised to me. That's it. I want my hoverboard. <laughs> I just rewatched Total Recall last uh, last weekend. The original one or the remake? The original one, please. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> Get ready for a surprise. <laughs> two weeks <laughs> and i was like where where's my robo bot driver you know i know they have like self-driving cars now but in total recall oh well he turned into a doctor yeah <laughs> um, for people who don't know it's robert picardo who played that taxi cab driver and of course he was the doctor in voyager tng mm -hmm. deep space nine but mainly voyager right for anyone who didn't get that job, <laughs> just like you aren't geek enough to be listening <laughs> <laughs> we could play the the six degrees of kevin bacon with sci-fi yeah, characters <laughs> excellent so is there anything else that you want to say about this book then stephanie before we finish mm, i'm similar to you both i really enjoyed the kind of cross-country trek that they went on on newark i felt like this was really the book that brought them together i mean even having to live in caves and discovering that prior civilization i think it really brought the two groups together and set the stage for a level of trust going forward through the other books. So some people may have come may may have concerns with some of the repetition, but I think that as we mentioned that it's real life. But Greg does a really good job of setting up what's going to happen in future books in each book. Mm -hmm. And it's taken several listens through to go, oh yeah. <laughs> I still hear things again. Yeah, you know, every time I'm listening to it, I hear another thing that 
clues me into something that happened in, in a later book and it ties back to you know either Columbus Day Spec Ops or Black Ops or other books. Yeah, that's it. So you get your payoff long term. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw somewhere that Craig has a spreadsheet or some sort of big flow chart of where things are going. That's it. He's got his plan all laid out Mm -hmm. and he's got like his map of exactly where everybody, every character is going and where their demise or whatever it is. So everyone's planned all the way through. Mm -hmm. No surprises for him. It's just the rest of us that will end up in shock or or (laughs) delight at the end of the next book. Right. (laughs) Okay, so I think we've reached the natural end. (laughs) (laughs) So Stephanie, where can we find you on social medias? Do you do social medias? I do the social medias, but I'm... I don't do a lot of, uh, I, I don't really like to be very public. On my Facebook, I don't actually have a picture of myself. I'm, I'm somewhat paranoid. I work in digital marketing, actually for a living. So I'm very much aware of how things work behind the scenes in socials. I guess like the biggest place people probably find me is on Instagram or they want to look for me. I'm, I know in the Facebook group, we could connect that way, but I'm generally pretty private. So I'm actually quite shocked at myself for doing this <laughs> <laughs> they're the same as me i'm i'm not on the social so um uh, that, that's absolutely fine so we just find your posts in the facebook group yep okay i'm completely the opposite <laughs> you're just like i'm everywhere i'm just on everything from the get-go if anyone wants to leave any messages if they can just contact us uh via our socials which are steve the fluff not pod as I said last time, the reason why it's so short is because of Twitter, because they still have a 15 character limit on usernames. So unfortunately, I couldn't get the fluffer nutter. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make it the same for everything. So yeah, it's just at the fluff not pod all over the place. I highly recommend keeping it consistent as a digital marketer. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you very much, Stephanie, for joining us. Um, it's been a great chat. Uh, thank you, guys. I really, I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun to talk geek with some fellow monkeys. All right. We'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. This week, our special guest um, is... <laughs> this week, our special <laughs> guest monkey is Steph. Uh, No, I'll do that again. (laughs) (laughs) So, where were we? We are on Newark. Right, yes. We've still been chopping in. (laughs) We haven't exactly been going through. And that's absolutely fine, because it's just really flowing. So... uh, um, I need the temporal mechanics for super mega dummies to understand a lot of that. (laughs) That's the one. If you like Captain Janeway... It just gives you a headache, so you just don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> Although we all know how she managed to keep away from time travel. I have to watch that series again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I keep teasing Nathan because last episode, he said absolutely an awful lot of times. <laughs> so I was doing the editing, and one night we were gaming, it's just like... Yeah. Did you actually fi- realise how many times you said absolutely? No? Why? You said it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I'm going to tease you about that an awful lot. So it's like this time I'm going absolutely. And of course it gets in now saying it, which is why oh you giggled afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I totally agree. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I've done very good. I haven't said it at all in my new job. <laughs> 
see, now I think I understand what um, Joe feels like when <laughs> Skippy's <laughs> jiving him all the time. Uh, I've got that empathy with Joe now. So when you <laughs> shave down there, do you do a thunder? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always a question mark. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Things weren't working and of course then they'd got the bad news ah yes the surveyor ship the bad news dun 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 <laughs> we're gonna keep that effect for next week as well <laughs> <laughs> next week next month no, next i haven't month. got time yeah. to do that extra yeah. Yeah. audio editing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next month oh, i'm not i'm not i my <laughs> i'm sorry for my dog's barking you can edit that out, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it's a rough time when that happens. Yeah. But a boom. And uh, that's it from me. Um, I feel like we should have a sign off, just like Joe has a. <laughs> so, goodbye, monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Hold my beer. Just the awesomeness. Now I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm going for a cheeseburger. <laughs> now I really am hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everyone. It was the most fun ever. I hate my life. As expected, it was epic, historic. Galactic levels of suckitude. ignorant monkeys this show is brought to you by hollow suite media computer deactivate hollow suite